Well, thank you, Dr. Johnson. Dr. Johnson's played a real uh, big role in our DVDs. He does research on animals, and he's sent a lot of research our way. And he's actually in our uh, Animals of Alaska, Volume 1 and Volume 2, and he'll be in Volume 3, which we're trying to get finished. And every, everything on the table uh, out back or out front is uh, for you all. And uh, we don't sell things at church, so if there's something there you want, you just take it. Uh, if you want to put something in the little box out there, that's fine. But we want that information to get out because there's so much that we're not allowed to hear about in Satan's world system. And so uh, also, we have these animal cards. They're little tracks, animal card tracks, gospel tracks. And uh, nobody turns them down because everybody loves animals, almost everybody. And so we'll just say, uh, hey... Uh, do you know uh, why a caribou, why its legs don't freeze up in the wintertime in all that snow? No. Well, do you want to read about that? Well, yeah. So we got a picture with a caribou on it, and, and they'll thank us, thank us for giving them a tract. <laughs> and uh, so those are back there, and uh, just uh, see what you could use, and then please use it. <clears throat> and I'm going to put this down here. I got back up one more time. <laughs> you never know these days. <clears throat> so, uh, being uh, I was conceived the last week of July, 1939. So that makes me 82 years old, but my birthday isn't until April. All right, we're going to talk about living out the indwelling life of Christ. And by the way, your pastor, uh, Mark Pyland, we were at his wedding, so we've known him a long time. Uh, so we knew him before his wedding, and that's how we got invited to the wedding. And uh, that was a very nice wedding. And, uh, and they're still married. Like what, 30, 33 years later? Yeah. Uh, now, we have him beat. We, we're married 55 years, but anyway. Has anybody been married more than 55? More than 55? Uh, how many? Fifty-eight. Oh, Dick, they said it would never last. <laughs> how, how long? Whoa. Well, we'll give you the gold star today. All right. Well, living out the indwelling life of Christ. This is a hard thing to, to get into our lives. And we have, the last seven years... We've been really uh, seeing the Lord do some amazing things. Now, Christianity is very simple. We have one book to obey, one life to live, one God to serve. It's that simple. But we make it complicated. We just do. That we might walk in a manner worthy of our Lord and all pleasing. That's what he wants us to do. We need to bear good fruit. We need to keep increasing in the knowledge of God. It, it, that's our family verse, by the way, Colossians 1.10. So Christianity, then, I'm going to go really, really fast. Uh, I want to make sure that Jim was accurate in his introduction. So we'll move fast. But I know how some of you can play a video game. Those brains can work really fast if you work at it. So keep your brain going. 
Uh, Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with our living creator, Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And our heart cry should be that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. What? Conformable to... Well, we're going to see. Philippians 3.10. The significance of being bought with a price, because he tells us, you're bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body and in our spirit, which are God's, 1 Corinthians 6.20. So Jesus came to die so that we could hear trains. <laughs> Obviously, we're near a train track. How about that? I used to live on 5th Street in Bloomsburg, Pennsylvania, and the train went through town on 6th Street every night at about 2 in the morning. But you know, you get used to it. You don't even hear it. Uh, anyway, I heard that. I, that was kind of friendly. Uh, Jesus came to die so that he could birth a family, right? Ephesians 3, and then create the body of Christ, his church here on earth, Ephesians 4, and he came to indwell us. He lives in us through his spirit. He said this, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, John 14, 16. So the Holy Spirit comes to live in us when we receive Jesus as Savior, and he never leaves us. So the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. It is impossible. You can't do it, all right? The Lord has invited us to an impossible life that only he can live. And he wants to live that through us. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. He tells us that without him, we can't bring forth anything. But in him, we can bring th forth good fruit. John 15, 5. Not that we're sufficient or adequate of ourselves to think of anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is of God. It all comes from him. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Jeremiah 32, 27. And he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Luke 18, 27. And so, it is impossible to live the Christian life. But with God, nothing is impossible. Well, that means we can live the Christian life, but it's not our life. It's his life coming through us. We're going to try and talk about that today. God's not necessarily looking to work with our competency, but through our dependency. We need to be careful not to assume that he only calls the equipped. Perhaps, more than we realize, he equips the called as we submit to his plan for our lives. I think he does. He wants to take people who are worthless, who are totally dependent on him. That's what he wants, because then he gets all the glory. We can't say, I did it. No, no. He says, I won't share my glory with another. Too often we think he will use us according to how we believe we are equipped to be used. He might, but not necessarily. So the more we're forced out of our comfort zones, the more we're thrust into living out the truths of John 15, 5, abiding. He's the vine, we're the branches. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, desperate dependence. That's what he wants, desperate dependence. So Jesus didn't come to solve our problems, but to be our life. That's what he wants to do. Once I'm a Christian, it's not my life anymore, but Christ living his life through me. It's not my life. 
He tells us, reckon yourself dead. The New Testament plan for believers, Christ is our very life to never leave us or forsake us. Our bodies are not our own. We're just, we're not just bought with a price, his life and his blood, but now we have living in us the fullness of Christ, the creator of everything. The question is then, what does that exactly mean? How do we daily live out the indwelling life of Christ? Jesus doesn't just pop out of us every minute of every day. I think we could all agree to that. And this is where we have to understand Galatians 2.20. This is a key verse. Galatians 2.20, most of you probably know it by memory. I am crucified with Christ. What's it, what, 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 what's it mean to be crucified? You're dead. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I'm here. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The real me, I'm dead. This is Jesus living in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I'm here in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God. It's not my faith. It's his faith. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Amen. Jesus doesn't promise to improve us. He promises to indwell us. Oswald Chambers said this. Beware of paying attention to what you once were when God wants you to be something that you've never been. I think he does. So how should we view life? My life is perfect. Okay? The circumstances of my life stink. They may be killing me. Okay? But my life is perfect because Christ is my life. He is really my life. This is a hard concept to get a hold of. I know. What we aren't taught a lot of times is not my life. I belong to Jesus. Love that old hymn. Now I belong to Jesus. Activating his life means we have to die to our life. That's the flesh. The good death is I die daily, said the Apostle Paul. Why? Because my flesh wants to take over. When we choose this good death, I'm dying to myself, we activate his life. Wow. Because we're saying this is not my life. Now, that's a hard thing to think about. We're going to talk more as we go here. Activating his life means we have to die to our life, which is the flesh. And when we can get our flesh to recognize there's freedom, not in me, but in Christ, we take on understanding that Christ is my life. Me is no longer on the throne. I don't have to control my life anymore. I just need to surrender to love the Lord my God with all my heart and then our Lives resemble his life. We are in the fragrance of Christ. We're supposed to smell good as Christians. A sweet aroma. That's what we're supposed to do and be, okay? So how, how do you smell? Is it Jesus, you see? Is it, is it a sweet-smelling aroma? I hope so. Living from Jesus enables living for Jesus. We can't just, I'm doing this for Jesus. Well, that generates pride. We're going to get to that. So a couple of Old Testament verses. Jesus said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. Genesis 1, 26 and 7. We all know that. We all know this too. Genesis 5, 1. In the day that God created man in the likeness of God, made he him. In the image of God, made he man. Genesis 9, 6. So that's what he did. Now, New Testament. I'm crucified with Christ. You're going to hear this again. With Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. 
In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Amen. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's self-control. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ, what? Have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Galatians 5. So some questions. What is the biblical definition of normal? We need to think about that. Do we as Christians with the indwelling life of Christ within us live for Christ or from Christ? So the image of God and the indwelling life of Christ. In order to fully understand how important it is to live out the indwelling life of Christ, as explained in the New Testament, Galatians 2.20, among other places, we have to understand the significance of how we were created in the image of God, as recorded in the Old Testament. Consider this story from the indwelling life of Christ by Major Ian Thomas. We have some of these books out there. They're little devotionals, two-page devotionals. It changed the way we really think about things as Christians. This is after I went to Dallas Seminary. Never heard about this in Dallas Seminary. At least I didn't understand it if I did. It's, it is letting Jesus live his life through us, which is the way he created us, between God's image bearers, and how vital the understanding is to challenge us to daily live out his indwelling life. So, Ian Thomas makes this little illustration in the book. So I just took this out of his book. Imagine far out in space there's a planet inhabited by intelligent creatures, by the way. There are demons. There are angels. There is no such thing as extraterrestrial life in any other realm. Although in the church it's creeping in. Okay. No. God came to planet Earth. It's the center of his redemptive plan to save the race of Adam. That's it. There's angels. There's demons. There's humans. There's God. All right. So out there, and so they, what happens here? Well, one day they detect these aliens. They detect the existence of a planet called Earth. With intense excitement, they build a spaceship capable of sending a delegation to a faraway Earth with a specific goal of going there to learn about God. Is this when I move my cheek, making a sound? Let me turn it out a hair. Uh, with a specific goal, didn't help, going there to learn about God because their initial findings have disclosed the record of what God said when he first created human beings on this planet, that he was making them in his own image and according to his own likeness. So they read about that. Such a revelation is absolutely the most thrilling news these alien beings have ever heard. By getting a close-up view of humanity, they'll be getting their first ever glimpse of God. Soon we will see man, the creature God made in his perfect image. We will be able to return home with eyewitness knowledge and understanding of what God is really like. So they land, and they leave the spacecraft. They go down the street. First thing they see is a drunk on the curb. Well, they didn't know anything about drunkenness. So they went around another corner, and there they find two rival gangs fighting each other with knives and different things. And, and stunned by the unexpected danger, they turn quickly in a different direction and hear sounds from an open door under a tavern. The sound they're hearing is coming from a television set above the bar, and someone is announcing the world news. 
They hear about terrorist bombers and murders. It's about corruption in business and government. It's about childish, foolish behavior by celebrities in, the entertainment, in, in entertainment and sports. They stare in shock at the screen until one of them turns to the others and says, let's get off this planet. With heavy steps, they make their way to the spaceship, weighed down by revulsion and disillusionment over this display of God's character. Of course, you and I know that what they actually learned was not what God is like, but what sin is like. Was there anything wrong, however, in the logic behind their expectation of seeing God on our planet? No, their thinking was entirely correct, as we see more clearly when we carefully read the scriptures. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. What did Jesus say? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's fascinating. Ian Thomas goes on. Are you normal? Often after we exercise a certain behavior, we will use the phrase, I'm just being normal. Some Christian parents make excuses for their disobedient children or rebellious teenagers by saying, well, they're just being normal. These responses reveal there's a lack of biblical concept of normality. We understand, until we understand, a biblical definition of what normal actually looks like, what it is, will not fully understand how vital it is that we abide in Christ in such a way so as to let the indwelling life of Christ show out through us. My name is Normal. <laughs> Back to Ian Thomas. You would probably answer yes to the question, are you normal? You'd probably say yes. But do you really know what normality is for a human being? After all, a knowledge of normality is, only, is the only basis upon which we can diagnose accurately. How can a doctor tell if you're sick? Because he knows what normal is, what health is. Oh, you don't have that, okay? That's why we have to understand very clearly how God created us. Only then can we have an intelligent understanding of what has gone wrong and its consequences and what God has done to put things right. God himself as our creator always intended that he should indwell us. His cherished ambition was to be seen and heard in those he created. That is normality for a human being when God himself is behaving in and through a man or a woman. This is the purpose for which he created us, that we might be a physical, visible expression on this earth of the God who is otherwise invisible. God himself must be the origin of this activity within us, which is called righteousness. God is the author of all righteousness. And for you and me to produce it, he must be within us the origin of his own image. When God made you and me, his intentions was that we in normality would be distinguishable from the animal kingdom by a quality of life and behavior that would allow for absolutely no possible explanation but God within us. So there's a connection between being the image bearers and the indwelling life. It is possible for any human being, <clears throat> we're all fleshly, to put forth a true picture of the image of God. Yeah, we can't do it. However, Christians have the indwelling life of Christ within us, and he is all righteousness, holiness, and purity. Amen. For this reason, we actually can present to others the righteousness of God in whose image we were created. Now how? Through the indwelling life of Christ. We can reveal a picture of God through the life of Jesus coming out through us. Life begins once you realize it's not my life, it's Jesus' life. 
First, in order to understand how to live out his life, we have to understand death. We have to crucify the flesh and die daily to our desires, our wants, our selfishness, our flesh. It tells us that over and over in the Bible. We can either live out death, that's the flesh, or life, Jesus, to our families, our workplace, our communities, our churches. What do you exhibit with your life? Are you exhibiting death or are you exhibiting life? What is it? You see? Consider this. Dead people do not respond in impatience, grumbling, anger, resentment, crankiness, snippiness, defensiveness. They're dead. They, they can't do those things. You see, God says, reckon yourself dead. That means you, you don't do things that the flesh does. This is the death that we have to choose to die on a daily basis so that we can have a heart so empty of sin that the life of Jesus spills out of us to others. That's what he wants to do. So how are you doing? Do you consider yourself dead when someone irritates you or angers you or hurts your feelings? Do you render a blessing instead? 1 Peter 3.9. Do you give life? Sometimes around the house, somebody's doing something, and one of us will say, mm, is this life of Jesus, or is this death of flesh? Do you give life, the life of Christ, love, joy, peace, all those things, to those around you? Or have you not chosen to crucify the flesh? As a consequence, you entertain more death in your life and in your actions to others. Consider the harmony, unity, sweet fellowship, love, joy, peace, all the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, Jesus. Families would have if every day all members were constantly living out the indwelling life of Christ. If we were all dead to me, myself, and I, which started back there in Genesis, and alive to Christ, thinking about our Lord Jesus, talking about Him, using His name in our conversations, too often we only say God or the Lord, but is, is, it's at the name of Jesus every tongue will confess every knee will bow let's lose use jesus name pray the lord will give new ideas for spreading his life to others living from christ includes desperate dependence on our lord jesus much prayer needed for spirit-filled living don't try to change on your own because you can't do it only jesus can so pray fathers consider spending extra time getting to know your wife your children young adults hearts in new ways always affirming your love protection prayers it's following the example of our Lord's heart for his children. He sat right down with them. Mothers, be nurturers, following Jesus, sacrificial example, consistently giving a listening ear, being gracious, giving time and love to others. Set a tone of life in your home. And young people, give honor, respect, love to your parents and siblings, affirming them. Their actions is important in your life. Think that they're important in your life. Think of ways you can encourage them in the Lord Jesus every day. So what's normality for a human? Normality for a human being is when God can be seen by anything and everything which that person does and says and is. I'm dead. This is Jesus' life. Therefore, if any human being is truly normal in his or her behavior, there's only one person to be congratulated. That is God himself. Our natural man or who we are in the flesh is void of righteousness. This, this, this flesh is not redeemed. That's why we have to have a resurrection body, okay? 
Uh, where are I here? Uh, um, the natural man receiving not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. So fully activating the indwelling life. If you're a Christian, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. You have the indwelling life of Christ in you through his Spirit. Therefore, you're able to live a life that is what God said is normal. To live as a recognizable picture of the image of our Creator is what our Lord considers normal. How? That's the question. Not that we're sufficient, we're adequate of ourselves to think of anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency, our adequacy is of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. So it has to come from Him. I can't do it. It comes from Him. Ian Thomas said this, So long as Christians are busy doing for God rather than from God what is best in their own eyes, they'll never enter, enter into His rest and the true inheritance that is theirs to enjoy now. They will only be sweating it out, end up weary, discouraged, depressed, likely become cynical. They'll finally want to quit, and quit they must. They must quit depending on self-effort and instead recognize the truth. I cannot live this Christian life, but Jesus never said I could. Jesus says, I can live it, and I want to live it through you. And he always said he would. And then you can reign in life as you let God be God. You allow him to show you that he is big enough for the job. So when we decide to live out fleshly actions and attitudes, we can't use the excuse, well, we're just being normal like everyone else. Because we're not to compare ourselves with others, among other things. Look what it says. It says... For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves, comparing themselves among themselves, are not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. We're to look at Jesus. I didn't become a Christian until I was 27 because I was looking at these hypocrite Christians starting right in my own family. Okay? I didn't want any part of that. They're all hypocrites. Okay? But I wasn't looking at Jesus. We have to look at him. Because we want to put the biblical definition on normal, not the worldly definition, so we can live a life based on truth instead of counterfeit. That's man's opinion. So fathers, mothers, all of us, we need to challenge ourselves to live normally. If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. And then challenge each other to live normally in love. Okay, speaking the truth in love. And we have to be intentional about this, our Christian walk. We can't be lazy. It's hard work, and yet it's totally of Jesus. It's hard to understand that. No more excuses. We're not just acting normal when we walk in the flesh. Our Lord calls normal living the kind of living that looks like his image, and in the New Testament, his image is seen in our living out his indwelling life within us. Well, why do we so often then live in the flesh instead of the spirit? If the indwelling, powerful life of Christ is within us, well, Galatians 2.20, Philippians 1.21 explain that the goal of our Christian life is life. But it's not our life. It's the life of Jesus. Another goal is death, not physical death, but death to self. We are to crucify the flesh. Oh, I'm still working on it. I'm 82. As Christians who have been given the gift of free will, we are, we make choices, 
We can choose to live a life that looks like Christ, or we can live a life that looks like flesh. Paul affirms this constant fight between the spirit and the flesh. Romans 7, what's he say? I know in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. That's true. It's not redeemed. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Yes, it does. So can a Christian have a life that doesn't look like a Christian? Of course we can. The fact that our Lord has to give us multiple challenges throughout Scripture regarding how His Spirit should look coming out through us is another scriptural clue. Once you're saved, you will not just naturally live out a beautiful picture of the life of Christ and never fall into carnality, walking in the flesh. Yeah, there's going to be a war within that's fought and can be conquered during the sanctification process. Be prepared for the battle. It's a battle. It is definitely a battle. The spirit versus the flesh. Galatians 5.16 says that we have to make that choice. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Galatians 5.17 explains as Christians, our flesh will still try to control us. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other. So you cannot do the things that you would. That's the battle. It is a battle, but God is the victor. Galatians 5.22 goes on to reveal the victory when the Spirit wins over. We can exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. That's Jesus' life coming through. And he says, when we do that, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let's also walk in the Spirit. Let's not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Jesus says, don't do that. Die to all of that. Put on the Spirit. Put on Jesus. Yes, the indwelling life is within us. It is a powerful life. But we have to daily choose to deny self, pick up our cross. Luke 9, 23, deny the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. First John 2. When's the last time you prayed that? Lord, Lord Jesus, help me to deny the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Help me to put you on in my life. Follow our Lord Jesus in the way his life should look. There would be no need for our Lord to include these scriptural commands and challenges if Christians had no problem with carnality. We know people that says, well, you can't be carnal. Once you're a Christian, no, 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 that doesn't happen. Yes, it does. And God has told us what to do about it. There's a battle, a war within between the flesh and the spirit. For this reason, we can be Christians and give no picture of the indwelling life of Christ within us to our families, our church members, our community, business partners, the angels. We're living life out in front of the angels. Because we can give place to the devil, Ephesians 4. God says, don't give place to the devil. It's a jurisdictional area. Don't reserve a jurisdictional area of your heart for the devil. Surrender your whole heart to love the Lord with your whole heart and soul and mind and strength. So do you have an area that's a jurisdictional area you've set apart to let the devil penetrate to, to, so that you're walking in the flesh? We can quench the spirit. The question is, how do we fight the battle? We have to live from Christ. No problem, right? We have the full power of the Godhead living within us to live out a beautiful picture of the life of Christ. Why is it a problem then? With all Christians fully indwelt with the power of the Godhead, why is there so much carnality and fleshliness and unrighteousness and worldliness? And we could go on and on. 
among Christian people? Is it because they aren't saved? Or is it because they've not actualized the indwelling life of Christ? If our behavior is not looking like a Christian, but we know fully we have believed in and received the Lord Jesus and thus have salvation, then the issue is not for us to doubt the assurance of our salvation. I'm not acting like a Christian. I must not be a Christian. But rather to understand the doctrine of the war within. And some scriptures mentioned above realize we're not permitting Jesus to win the battle. So there's pitfalls to understanding this whole thing. You're going to struggle with the assurance of your salvation. You'll keep trying to get saved because you think your besetting sins are meaning that you're not saved. You'll look at your children, family members, members of your church even, and you're constantly judging whether you think they're saved or not by their behavior instead of by their stated belief. So you're going to find yourself in a consistent, insecure state of mind and heart about your own salvation and the salvation of others. Your focus is on salvation instead of sanctification. And therefore, you're going to focus on continually trying to repent enough to truly get saved or and continually trying to convince those around you who are not acting like Christians or like you think they should act that they are not saved. They have to try again. They didn't repent enough the first time. So where does this put our focus? On salvation. Instead of where it should be when we're falling into besetting sins of carnality or carnality, on the need for deeper sanctification and greater accountability. And so, instead of suggesting that someone who says they're saved is not truly saved because of behavior that we see, it doesn't look like a Christian, focus on encouraging, challenging, lovingly confronting, discipling them in the body of Christ. We need to understand how much speaking the truth in love really does make a difference. We need to lovingly offer discipleship, accountability to those falling into besetting sins. Point them to Romans chapter 6 and 7, Galatians 5, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, and all the hope there is to win this war. Yes, there is hope. Give them ways they can deal with their besetting sins. So parents, take heart. If you have a child whom you truly believe prayed to receive Christ at a young age, you did see the Spirit's heart and life in them for even a time that you know they received Christ. They were acting like a Christian. They did things that Christians do. They had a love for the Lord. They, you know at one point they did receive Jesus. But yet they have rebelled in their teen years or later. Don't make them believe they were a false convert and never really saved. Focus on taking them into an understanding of the life of Christ and lovingly disciple them about truth. And with John 13, Jesus, a new commandment I give you, we're to love each other and with patience. Through understanding the doctrine of the war between the spirit and the flesh, we can then understand our natural tendency to live in the flesh is because we're not understanding or choosing to live out how truly to know Christ, like 1 John, so that we can truly abide in Christ, John 15, so that we can live from Christ. Galatians 2.20. Okay, quickly, two misunderstood, I believe, passages. Matthew 7.15-20 and 2 Corinthians 13.5. Are these passages suggesting we can doubt our salvation or suggesting we can determine another Christian's salvation by their lifestyle or their fruit? All right, Matthew 7. What's it talking about? It says, by their fruits you'll know them. What's the context? False teachers. That's the context. 
It's pre-Pentecost, and so it's pre-indwelling life of Christ. It's not into Acts 2 that the Spirit indwells believers. The passage is written about false teachers rather than Christians. When understood in that context, the verse should not be used to cause us to judge others' salvation or point them to question the assurance of their salvation because of what we see in their life. It's a verse pertaining to the fruit that reveals false teachers, if we just take it in context. Well, what about this other one, 2 Corinthians 13, 5? I've used this the wrong way. It says, examine, God's talking to this church at Corinth. It was the most carnal church that he talks to. Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates. But I trust you shall know that we are not reprobates. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 and 6. What's he talking about? He's confronting the Corinthians for accusing him of being a false teacher. That's the context, what's going on. It's so important in any passage, Paul is not asking them to examine themselves to see if they're Christians because their behavior is not showing this, and it really wasn't. No, he knows they're Christians. He spent the whole book of Corinthians addressing a very carnal church, but yet he still addressed them over and over as believers. Paul uses an effective method of communication to help them understand they're wrong. He asks them to verify his past teaching in their own lives. If they find what he taught them is valid in their own life, then they will understand that he is not a false teacher. So what in essence is he saying? He's saying to the Corinthians, you're accusing me of false teaching. But remember, examine yourselves. You know the message I preached to you regarding your salvation was true because all of you think yourselves to be Christians. So if you are Christians, then I'm not a false teacher because it was my teaching on salvation that you accepted. That's what he's doing. So examine yourselves. It wasn't actually Paul asking them to make sure they were Christians. It was a rhetorical question with the understood answer of, yes, of course we're Christians, so that he could come back around and tell them, if they were truly Christians, he wasn't a false teacher because it was his teaching that led them to be Christians. So we can't use that to say, you better check it out and see if you're really a Christian. Now, there are people that maybe that question would be okay. But once again, if we're not living out a recognizable life of Christ, it doesn't necessarily mean that we are not saved. It typically means we're not understanding how to truly know Christ and abide in Christ so that we can live from Christ. That's the whole issue. So what hinders it? Sin, leaven, unrighteousness. Get rid of it. Sin separates you from fellowship with Jesus. It quenches the spirit. Not understanding the doctrine of the war within and the sanctification process, taking scriptures out of context, losing the real truth behind them. Living for Jesus is pride-based. I can do it. I'm going to go out. I can do it. Uh, look what I did. Instead of from Christ, living from Christ, what's that? Well, that generates humility. I can't do it. Only he can. I'm giving him the glory. I'm not adequate to do anything. And that's the way we should live. And so, are you living from Christ? Are you keeping Jesus first? Is he the hub? And the spokes are all these good things out there, but they don't take over the hub. And so, don't try to live for Christ or your first love can easily get misplaced. We were doing it, and we loved ministry instead of him. We realized that finally. We put, kicked Jesus off as the hub, 
and we put ministry in. Instead of loving him with our whole heart and mind and soul and strength, we were loving ministry. He says, it's good to love ministry, but you better love me first, like he did with the Ephesians there in uh, Revelation chapter 2. What did he say? Hey, you're doing all these good things, but you know what? You've lost your first love. I'm gonna, that's bad. I'm going to take away your candlestick unless you repent. Get back to loving me first. So why are we doing things in the church? Is it because we're loving Jesus? Or is it out of duty? Is it out of pride? Why are we doing these things? Jesus said, love me, and then let me work through you. Ministry, the center, instead of Jesus, causes burnout. Beware of the mentality of doing ministry for Jesus instead of from Jesus. You're doing it like a duty or something. What is competing for the center of your life's wheel? What do you have in there? You see, what, what do you have in there, in the center? Is it Jesus? I hope it is. I hope it is. If we want to live from Christ, we have to understand what his word says about what the exchange life looks like. We have to get into his word and study as well as rightly divide. 2 Timothy 2.15, we will fail at living out his life unless we understand the doctrine of the body of Christ. Do you know the doctrine of the body of Christ? I'm going to just zip through a few things here because Pastor Pilon said you close about 1.30. So we'll see. We'll see what happens here. I'm just going to zip through a few things. Uh, we got to be Bereans, okay. And we have to understand God's heart, and he wants us to. And so um, let's look at a few things. The doctrine of the body of Christ. I'm just going to read how it should work. We are the family of God. We are to relate to each other as a family. Okay, relates. We are. By the way, you think of the Old Testament. What do you have? Physical families. You got the family of Adam, the family of Noah, the family of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Hosea, David, all these families, physical. Get to the New Testament. Name a family. Well, you got Ananias and Sapphira. They didn't last long. Then you have uh, Priscilla and Aquila. Did they have any children? No, because the bridegroom has come. We're now in the age of grace. We are now the family, the body of Jesus. There's one family. And we're to deal with each other like a family deals with a family, with members, okay? And so we have to love God first, and then we have to love each other as we love ourselves. That means we love ourselves. And we have to love like Jesus loved. He died, okay? We have to be of one accord, one mind. It means we have to talk about things. We have to be endeavoring for peaceful unity. What does it say? It says, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word endeavoring has behind it a hard, intense work. It is hard, intense work to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because we got to talk about things, and we got to work together. And uh, so, peace, everything. It means harmony or even union after conflict. You can't say, well, I got peace with that brother, and then if you see him in Walmart, you duck down a different aisle. That's not harmony, okay? That word peace has the idea of your harmony. You've worked it out. You're, you're, you've been reconciled to God and to each other. Speaking the truth, we got to do that in love. People don't want to hear it, but we got to do it. We reprove, rebuke, exhort. It says, preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. How? With long suffering and doctrine. We do it according to doctrine. In season and out of season, whether it's convenient or not. 
it's never convenient to conf confront someone about sin, I've decided. Because it's going to take a long time. And they might just turn their back on you and say, hey, what, hey, you're trying to insert yourself into my affairs. No, we're all the family. This is what families do with each other. We've got to talk about things. Encouragement, fellowship. Yeah, yeah, we've got to do that. Bearing each other's burdens. Yeah, but you've got to know what the burdens are to bear them, right? So are you talking to each other? Here's our burdens. We, we, I got a burden here. We confess our faults one time. You know what I got? You know what my biggest fault was? My family told me. You don't know? What is it? I just forgot. No. It's, I can't be bothered. Passivity goes all the way back to the fall and the curse. What was, what was Adam doing when Eve is going through the test? Zero. Come on, leave Eve, let's get out of here. No, nothing. Totally passive. That's me, apart from God's grace. Okay? So, yeah, you confess your faults to one another, and then you can pray for each other. I'm a little better than I used to be. I hope. Am I? I am. Okay. My wife even said I am. That's good. That's good. Praying for each other. Oh, please pray for each other. Equipping, perfecting. Um, by the way, that word equipping has the idea of mending or restoring. We, we restore each other. And uh, also uh, saving, not, not saving uh, for uh, uh, eternity, but saving from sin. You're going to save from sin. You confront about sin and get it worked out. Humble, initiated communication toward clearing up misunderstandings, confronting sin, regaining unity, Matthew 5. You know, if your brother has something against you, go talk to him, okay? Wait a minute. He had something against me. I'm going to wait for him to come and talk to me. Nope, nope. You go talk to him. So a brother sins against you. What are you supposed to do? Go talk to him, all right? Ah. Uh, Conf confrontation about relational sins. You got to do it. Take heed to yourselves. If the brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And re if he repent, forgive him. I mean, we go with an attitude of forgiveness. And then if he won't forget, well, for if he won't repent, what do we do? Well, seven times seven, 70 times seven. Biblical forgiveness. We just forgive. Um, practicing kindness and compassion and treating. Uh, sacrificing our own interests. Yeah, we got to do that in the family of God. So we uh, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Follow. Uh, that's eagerly pursue. We're going to eagerly pursue peace. There it is again. A Renee, that's harmony or union after conflict. We're going to eagerly go after that. Success of any family, body of Christ, growth is under the direction of the Spirit, so as to not be done according to the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I'm crucified with Christ. Conclusion. Are we being Bereans about the doctrine of the body of Christ so that we're living out his life, Jesus' life, under his scriptural authority? That's what he wants. Let's have great resolve of heart to live out his life, letting him do it, as I reckon myself dead. Therefore, we have to, in an act of the will, in the power of the Holy Spirit, within the framework of Scripture, remembering I cannot. Jesus never said I could. Jesus can. He always said he would. So are you normal, according to the biblical definition? Are you willing to let God do his work in your life to be a better image bearer? Are you living for Christ? That can be a disaster. Or from Christ. That's what he wants. Does your life exhibit life 
or death? Are we loving ourselves more than the Lord Jesus? What sins in our lives do we need to confess? What areas, what jurisdictional areas of our hearts and our lives are not yielded to the Lord? Something come to mind? Well, get it. Deal with it. Deal with it. So what does the Lord desire? Micah 6, 8. He, God, has showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee? But to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. Those are the attributes of a, a mature godly person who is letting Jesus live through them. So, how do we do justly, love mercy, walk humbly? I got to love my dear Lord with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. I got to love my neighbor as myself, starting right at home. And then as an act of my will, in the power of the Holy Spirit, within the framework of God's word, the Bible, I must die to my flesh, put on the Lord Jesus, and let him live his life out through me, so that I can be the image bearer of my creator and savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we get started? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's where it starts. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you. You have given us your word You've given us your spirit. We who know Jesus, we who have received him as our Savior, have his full power within us through his spirit, and we thank you for that. And I pray, Father, if someone is here today, and they really have never gotten this straightened out to begin with, to get started, they've never put their trust in Jesus as their Savior, today would be the day they would trust in him. And then I pray for my fellow believers, Father, that we would just, uh, the prayer of our heart would be, God, not my will, but thy will be done. I want to put off this flesh and all its evil desires and lusts, and I want to put on Jesus so that I can show the life of Jesus to the watching world. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.